to verse 12. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but He was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the Scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust Him recognize the honor God has given Him, but for those who reject Him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and He is the stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's Word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Amen. Let's ask for the Lord's presence as we gather to consider His Word. Lord, be amongst us and speak to us through Your Word. We have receptive hearts, and we pray that You might come amongst us as the sower sowing the good seed, that it may take root in our lives, and that it might grow and bring forth fruit for Your glory. So, we ask, Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all the truth that you want to share with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1970s, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, who founded the Labrie Fellowship, Christian philosopher, wrote a, a wonderful book that was the, became the basis for a, a, a teaching series of films in which he challenged the Christian church to examine whether its life and ministry was a positive or a negative influence within the world. He was one of those Christian writers that in our younger days we read a lot of, some of his books, Death in the City and so forth, very influential. And the book that he wrote, and the film series that came from that was called 
how then shall we live? And we showed that uh, film series uh, in the church I was pastoring in Aberdeen in the early 80s on a series of Sunday evenings. How then shall we live? The verse inspiring the book and the theme comes from 2 Peter 3.11, where the Apostle Peter, speaking about the destruction of the world and the coming day of judgment, says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? God's expectation of His people, you see, is that our lives should reflect heavenly and not earthly values. When he wrote his first letter from Rome, Peter said that the letter was addressed to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces, and he listed out the provinces, but they were what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. They were politically and socially foreigners who had been scattered there by the Roman state's persecution of the Christian church. And his concern was to strengthen their Christian witness and influence in a society that was pressurizing them to conform to its standards. So, Peter reminds them that their lives should be shaped by their heavenly and not their earthly citizenship. In 1 Peter 2.11, he says, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Temporary residents and foreigners, strangers, as it were, living in a foreign land. The well-known of a previous era, Christian teacher and pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, told the story of a Canadian friend of his who moved into a new home. The first morning, as he looked down on an upstairs window on his garden, what he saw was a garden that was literally a jungle. It had been abandoned and left just to grow this way and that. And yet, as he stood looking over that mess, he his eye caught a glimpse of color, and he saw a rose in the midst of all the, the, the high weeds. And he went down to pick that rose. He thought, I'll pick it, I'll cut it, and I'll bring it inside uh, and put it in a vase. But he couldn't find it. He searched the garden, he couldn't find it. And so he had to go back up to the window he had been at and carefully plot where exactly it was to find its location. And then going down, discovering it, he then decided he would dig it up and he would replant it in a, in a nicer place that he had prepared. But as he dug around that rose, he discovered that its roots extended more than eight feet across his property into his neighbor's well-tended garden. It survived in the jungle of his garden because it was drawing its nourishment and resources from a, another place, from next door. 
As Christians, we live in an unfavorable and often hostile environment, but we survive because our roots are in another place, and our resources come from that other place. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. And in Colossians 1.21, he says, you were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. And because of that, Paul can say in Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You may be from the world's perspective, strangers and foreigners, but from God's point of view, you are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And because we're now citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we've become temporary residents and foreigners in this present world. Some of you may remember the old gospel uh, song which says, I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon a distant strand. Ambassador to be of realms across the sea, I'm here on business for my king. Strangers and foreigners in this land. A second-century Christian apologist wrote this, marvelous that it has survived for uh, 2,000 years. He said, Christians, and this, this is taking you right back to the 100, 150 AD and so forth. This is what he's saying of Christians of that time. Christians are not marked out from the rest of mankind by their country or their speech or their customs. They dwell in cities both Greek and barbarian, each as his lot is cast, following the practices of the regions in clothing and in food and in the outward things of life generally. Yet, they manifest a wonderful and openly paradoxical character of their own spiritual state. They inhabit the lands of their birth, but as temporary residents thereof. They take their share of all responsibilities as citizens and endure all disabilities as aliens. They pass their days on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that a, an incredible testimony made of the early Christians? They pass their days on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. So, what characteristics mark Christians out as what Peter describes as temporary residents and foreigners in this world, but also as citizens of the next world? First of all, the characteristic of our assurance. Peter reminds the believers and Christians today that we have a living hope. This is what he says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, 
an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. What a glorious hope and expectation you and I have as Christians this morning. In this life, we know who we are. We know who we belong to. We know where we're going. We have a living hope. All around us, people are confused about their identity, about who they are. They don't know who they are. This whole question of identity is particularly relevant in discussions that we're hearing about sexual identity in our time. People don't know who they are. Are they the random result of a big bang that brought the universe into being? Nothing more than an accident of fate? But Christians Christians know that they're God's people, created by Him, created for Him, and therefore having an intrinsic value and purpose. We know who we are. All around us, people have no certainty about who or what they belong to. Is their identity to be found in an ethnic group, in belonging to a particular nation, in being part of a social group? or in sharing a particular philosophy of life. But Christians know who they belong to. They are children of God, who have been brought back into His family, reconciled to our Creator, Heavenly Father, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. All around us in our society today, people have no idea where they're going. Will it be reincarnation, or will it be possible oblivion and nothingness? But Christians know where they're going. We're in transit here only for a short time, but we are heading for heaven. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance, says the Scripture, that is kept in heaven for us. So, we have a living hope. We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know why we're here, what our purpose is. Peter also reminds us that we are a special people. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. There, Paul reminds believers at Ephesus of the time when you used to be outsiders, he says. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. In reaching out to save us, through the sacrifice of His Son, God has restored us to our place in the heavenly family. Ephesians 1.5, God decided to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself 
through Jesus Christ. And because of that amazing act of grace and love, those who have trusted in Christ for salvation have been elevated to a position of privilege as children of God and heirs of His kingdom. This morning's Scripture passage from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12 focuses on that amazing privilege. In particular, in the ninth verse, 1 Peter 2, he assures us that you and I, we are special people. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. And so, the characteristics that show us we are temporary residents and foreigners in this world, but also we are citizens of the heavenly realm, the first is our assurance that we have a living hope and that we are a special people because of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second characteristic is our calling. In Christ, God called us out of the world and brought us into the family of the redeemed, the church of the Lord Jesus. In verse 10 of 1 Peter 2 in our passage, Peter says, once you had no identity as a people. Now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. As God's people, chosen and dearly loved, those who are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to be, first of all, a community of love. It was the love of God that sought us and saved us. 1 John 3, 1, see how very much the Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that's what we are. The love of God for you and for me has lifted us out of the world and brought us into His family. Now we are His children. We belong to the community of love. The church is the community of love, the body of Christ, reflecting Christ in the world. Well, we sometimes don't reflect Jesus very well. That was true of the Christians at Corinth, and it was interesting that it was to that particular family of believers in Corinth that Paul wrote that uh, great chapter that we know as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, to people who were backbiting and tearing one another apart, Paul focuses on the fact that they've actually been called to be entirely different from that. That's the way of the world, the way of the family of God. The heavenly way is to be the community of love. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he, he reminds them love will last forever, and he climaxes that glorious passage of 1 Corinthians 13 with this verse in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, let love be your highest goal. 
Make that the thing you seek after above all else. You see, love confirms whether or not we belong to Jesus. It confirms whether or not we are genuinely children of God. Dr. Alan Redpath says, this picture of love is a photograph of the Lord Jesus Christ in His inner character and in His church, His body. He wants to have many reprints. We are looking at the original Himself. He looks at us. For what He is in this world, so are we to be. He is looking for the perfect reproduction of His life of love in us. That love should be abundantly evident in your life and mine this morning because it reflects Jesus Himself. 1 John 3.11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And 1 John 3.14, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. 1 John 3.18, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So, we're called into a community in which the sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus is the way of life. God also calls us not only to be a community of love, but ambassadors of reconciliation. That's what Peter is reminding us about. Temporary residents and foreigners keep away from worldly desires, waging war against your souls, living properly amongst others, and being ambassadors of reconciliation. The good news of the gospel is that you and I, through God's grace, mercy, and love, have been reconciled to Him through Jesus' death on the cross. Grace has reconciled us to God, and grace reconciles us to one another. Life in the community of love becomes possible because the grace of God enables us to live in reconciled relationships with Himself and with one another. That's not the way of the world. And that's why Christians are only temporary residents here in the world, because the world has values that are alien to kingdom values, because the world is fragmented and torn apart by people's jealousy towards one another, their envy, their hatred, that desire for revenge and getting their own back, that desire to dominate one another and intimidate one another. But you and I, we are citizens of the kingdom that is to come, whose values are demonstrated in the life of Jesus, and they should be demonstrated in the life of His church.
through our love for God and one another, we show this damaged world the difference that takes place when we live in a reconciled relationship with God and with one another. So, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. So, our calling, we are a community of love, and we are ambassadors of reconciliation, and we are called to live out an active faith. We are God's very own possession. So, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, you can show others the goodness of God. That means you and I need to live in a manner that reflects gospel light and not worldly darkness. 1 Peter 2.12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior, and they'll give honor to God when He judges the world. Christians are to live as Christians should. Their lives ought to be distinctively different because they reflect heavenly values, not earthly ones. Our lives should show that we are living lightly to the things of this present world because we are citizens of heaven, and we're storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth. James 1.22 reminds us, don't just listen to God's Word, you must do what it says. If faith isn't worked out practically in our everyday lives and in our everyday relationships, then our faith means nothing, and its value is zero. Our calling, that which marks us out from everyone else, is that we are to be a community of love reflecting the love of Jesus. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, encouraging people to come back to the God who loves them and passionately longs to save them that we should have an active faith to live out the gospel values in our everyday lives. And in light of, therefore, all the evil, the hopelessness, the despair, and the darkness that holds people captive in its cruel grip today, how then shall we Christians live? To come right back to the very beginning, and that book. How then shall we Christians live? Surely, we must live our lives reflecting the light of hope that Jesus offers through the gospel. We are a people in transit to the new creation that God will one day bring in all its fullness. But until Jesus returns, and until Jesus calls us away from this present life, we will live our lives in the community of love reflecting reconciled relationships, encouraging others to come back to God who loves them, and to become part of this new community of love and reconciliation, living our lives carefully 
and properly as Christians ought to. You and I living up to our calling to be citizens of heaven, living out the life of heaven here on earth. May God give us the grace and strength to do that so that we might be good witnesses for him. Amen. Our Father,